It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with the award-winning journalists who cover the East End for a bit of a conversation about what's been going on in the headlines this week. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And great panel. As always, we have Joe Workmeister, who's a staff writer for Newsday. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's everybody doing? Thanks for getting up for us today. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. How you doing? Great to have you. And we have Brian Cosgrove, who is the host of the Mighty Mighty Afternoon Ramble right here <laughs> on WLIW-FM. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. So we had an eventful week uh, on the South Fork. Uh, on Monday, we had uh, all of the schools in Southampton cleared. About 1,300 people, kids and, and teachers and everybody else, had to be evacuated from all of the schools in the district after an emailed threat came in on Monday morning. And then Amagansett School also had a, a threat uh, that required evacuation later in the week. Bill, th- this was something that apparently we're not sure at this point whether or not they were connected, but it sounds like at least the Amagansett School one was part of a statewide threat that was made from someplace. They they believe it may have come from someplace upstate. This is concerning. Yeah. Bill, I, Bill I, think, I think we weren't the only ones to have it here on the South Fork, right? There were some other schools no, it's, throughout the state. No, it was a, a swatting event, apparently, and I'm not even quite sure I understand where that word comes from, but there were there were a bunch of threats. Um, it was a little scary in, in Southampton. I mean, as it was... As it was happening, and they they evacuated all the schools, as as you mentioned, um, we were we were hearing from parents and students, and we had one parent who was in in our office at the time who was receiving very concerned text messages from their child, who um, said this was like unlike other um, drills or or events and was very upset and was, uh, convinced that they were going to, uh, to, to die. Um, so it was, um, um, very, very unnerving. And because this is behind the headlines, I want to bring up a, a, an issue. So in, in reporting our breaking news on, on our website, 27 East, we had received um, notifications from the school district that I guess are sent to parents and other community members detailing where the students were being evacuated to. And I won't say it now, but it was, you know, two, two nearby institutions. Um, and um, we, we saw that at the time as part of the story um, and, and the news and you know the district had um, had had said these are where your kids are if you want to go pick them up that type of thing, so we reported that. But we we later heard from from some teachers and and school officials officials that were upset that we disclosed um, where the children were going to. That these were apparently somehow secret um, evacuation um, sites, and um, and and that we were further putting the children in danger because if there had been a real threat then then that person would know where the children are and and in, in hindsight maybe it was um it was a mistake to to say that but at, at the time we just thought that this was kind of public information and information that was being put out by the district um that that these are are, are where the kids are um, and I'm, I'm curious what what the other uh, journalists on the on the panel what would Denise what would you have done if they had? Well, I have a question. Did when you, the information that was put out by the district? Did you say that you got it directly from the district, or you got it from parents only? No, it was attributed to the district that the district had issued a statement talking, saying that there had been okay. a, a an but email they, threat, and and that the children were being evacuated to these two other institutions but but they but when they sent and they sent this to you but they didn't say please don't disclose those for security they, they, they did not and they didn't send it directly to us as, as a press release to be to be fair it was sent okay. out to 
um, parents and other school community members of which staff members are are a part of. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's I, how we saw no, it. No, we get things like that all the time too. I, I think I would have, it would have crossed my mind to like, like that, that would have crossed my mind to like, well, maybe I shouldn't disclose that. Um, it's a tough call though, because, you know, we're, we're charged with like reporting the facts and the truth. And, right. you know, we hear this kind of thing a lot. I mean, like lately we've gotten press releases, for example, from the police saying that, you know, someone was, uh, you know, after a fight or whatever, sent to an area hospital. And if we were told or knew in other ways that it was this hospital or that hospital, the police don't want you to report what hospital it was because, you know, sometimes mm. there's like, you know, it's a gang thing and then the hospital goes on lockdown or, you know, right. so, you know, but a part of the issue is I think that um, if the, if the authorities, so to speak, would be more forthcoming with information directly to the media and can express their like desires and the reasons for them clearly then we'd have better information in which to make the judgment call that you guys made, like to yeah, not I, let you know and then complain about what you did or how you did it is kind of unfair, I think. To, to, just, to, to be fair, know. district administrators, I think we're dealing with a bomb yeah. threat and an evacuation. And, yeah. and I think a phone call to the local paper probably was was um, down on their list. But 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 I agree um, that. You know that but they employ the, like uh, PR firms to talk to us, don't they? Um, I know well, the, the funny <laughs> thing is, is, is that questions um, uh, we asked were were referred to the PR firm employed by the district, and the PR firm sent us the same statement that the district had put out, naming the locations of where the <laughs> well, students okay. were were evacuated <laughs> to. So, I mean, and this this is hours after the fact. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, it's not uh, you know, essentially not, we not we decided. After the teachers and and the the local PTO contacted us, and I you know I think it's just testimony to everybody's nervous in a situation like that, and you worry about if the idea is to keep the kids safe. It does make some sense that talking about where they're being evacuated to might be one bit of information that doesn't need to be part of the the record which is fine but i i just find joe this is not something that just happened on the south fork right there, there were some schools elsewhere on the island that also had threats so this this is not an isolated incident and i worry that we had two incidents in one week here uh this may become a thing now right we may see some more of these in the, in the coming weeks yeah i mean the, you know as, I, I think Bill said at the beginning, um, you know, this was a, kind of a statewide threat. Uh, one of the initial threats uh, said, um, you know, there was a bomb, and I think in every school in New York or something like that. And um, you know, the governor um, put out a statement uh, talking about how New York State Police were investigating this, and um, I think there were more than ten schools across the state um, affected. And then uh, one of those schools in, in Nassau County, uh, uh, Plainview Old Bethpage, had an incident that was actually unrelated to this specific threat. Just something else happened on the same day. Um, where there was um, uh, some kind of student made a verbal threat and one of those things that just kind of escalated to where they, um, you know, had to bring in uh, police and, and, and uh, lockdown and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean these things uh, seem to be, um, you know, kind of happening, you know, more and more. And, and I think one of the uh, East Hampton police spokesperson said that uh, he believed this, this um, kind of statewide threat originated from overseas. And mm. so, you know, you wonder if it's just, you know, for whatever reason, people out there just looking to kind of screw, screw around with, uh, you know, people here as there's all this kind of chaos going on in the world. And I don't know, maybe they just kind of feel like this is a way of uh, enacting a little bit of uh, revenge and making our lives a pain at here. And, and it's so easy, I guess, to do to, you know, call in some kind of threat and, um, yeah, you know, I, I think back to even when I was in high school and we would have these occasional bomb threats and, and it was never like something you were ever really worried about because it was a totally different time. And, 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 you know, you, the alarm would go off, we'd go outside and, you know, you'd see the fire truck come up and, you know, we just kind of wait for them to realize it's nothing and we go back in and, but it's, you know, now it's you know, every threat you have to be uh, concerned That's about. I want to then... talk about that, Joe, because Bill, you mentioned it. Um, we saw close up, you know, we had 
a staff member in the office um, who was dealing with with uh, a child who was reacting badly to the situation. I think for kids today in classrooms, the idea of a threat of violence carries so much more weight than than it ever did before. And I, the, I think the, they've got to have a daily stress. I mean, if I were a student in school today, thinking about all the different school shootings and other threats and, and all that, I mean, just sitting in the classroom, I don't know how you do it. It, it, it just got to be so stressful for those kids. So, Denise, the fallout of this, as far as mental health issues with the kids, I think is something we got to monitor that that when you have an incident, like Joe said, I think. I think there were times when bomb threats at a school just meant clearing out of the school for a little while and going back well, in. That's I don't want to interrupt, interrupt Denise, but sure. I, I think that, you know, that was part of the issue in Southampton this week, too. I, I think I think back and there have been other um, threats like this in the past. And it was like, as as Joe said, you, you put the kids outside, you get them outside the school um, the authorities come in and they check the school real quick and then the kids go back in. And certainly there's a heightened security response. I, I think that we've done stories, all the different districts are, are talking about, you know, have rewritten their their security response. And, um, you know, and I, I wonder if so this was a new policy in place in Southampton, perhaps to evacuate the kids and send them home. And 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 maybe the kids didn't understand that. So the the the, the student the you know the the student of of you know of the, our employee. Um, this was something different. This was get out of the building, go to this other location. Um, you know the buses are going to come or wait for your parents, and so it felt more heightened than um, the, than other threats in, in the past. And I wonder if that's part of it. And I know that all the districts, um, you know, have been reviewing their their policies in the last year or two because of the increased threats. And, um, you know, maybe though that needs to be better communicated. I don't know. We yeah, did um, we did cover the school board meeting. Um, the, it was a night or two after the threat in Southampton. And I think some of those opinions were were expressed that the parents were were concerned um, about communication levels from from the district. And, the and the administrators acknowledged it was a little chaotic. They, yeah. they think they need to do a better job next time. Denise, I just have a question, really. And you made you know you alluded to this earlier, Bill. But like, um, what's is there a difference between? I've never heard this term swatting before, so I don't know. But is there a difference between this and and a bomb threat? Like, why are they not calling it a bomb threat? What I, I, think, I think the swatting just refers to the multiple, multiple threats at once. I also think swatting, I, I think it may be sort of misusing the term a little bit. Swatting is when uh, generally when somebody calls the police and says there is an active danger somewhere. And so the, the police might send a SWAT team to surprise somebody who's just sitting in their house with nothing happening. That's that's the, the phenomenon of swatting, I think. This is more like an old yeah. fashioned school bomb threat. I think that would happen too. That, that kind of originated with like um, kids playing video games together, where one kid gamers, would yeah. want to, yeah, gamers, and one kid would try to, you know, mess up the other kid and, and call in, um, you know, like a, say it's a hostage situation at this per other person's house, and he's sitting there playing the video games, and a SWAT team busts through the door. So that was kind of, I think, how the kind of phenomenon started, and the board took took off. Yeah, and Crazy I and Brian, I think the, the other thing about this is I'd hate to be school officials because when you get a threat like that and when a threat comes in that says something like we've placed a bomb in every school in New York State, like like what happened last week, um, you know, it's not credible, but you can't, you can't not take it seriously. Yeah, they have to do something and they have to, you know, they have to do what they did. And uh it's, you know, going back uh, to what everybody has hit on so far is, you know, I can it's, it was a long time ago, but it was it's hard enough to be a kid when everything's fine. You know, I mean, and it was a much simpler time when I was a kid in the 60s and the 70s. And now, I mean, if I'm thinking of things and they're just they just keep on building and building what these kids have to deal with. And 
to be concerned about their mental health is putting it mildly. You know, I mean, not only are they dealing with a polarized political world and pandemic and, um, you know, all these other things that are going on in the household. Climate change. Kids are very, very worried about climate change. Right. And then and then you're on top of that, you know, the, the shootings and, and now bombings or some kind of threat like that. It's uh, it's I, I just can't even wrap my head around it. You know, these what, what kids are going through. And uh, it's uh, cruel. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. cruel to, it to cruel. put kids through this. Yeah. And how do you deal with that as a parent? I mean, Joe, as the only person on this panel with a very young child, not even school age yet, right? Unless time really flew, uh, <laughs> which it does, I know. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is on your mind. And, and Absolutely. You know, what do you what do you think about yeah, I mean, it? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, you went to think about like threats i mean even she goes to a daycare my daughter's three and, and they do these little drills when and obviously they're so young they don't know like why they're you know evacuating somewhere or, or going to a different room but you think like it's kind of crazy to think of, you know they have to be prepared to like shuffle out all these little kids and um you know there was an incident um uh, a few months ago and nothing serious but like they had to like you know that where the room where the babies are sleeping they had to like roll out all these cribs outside because like a fire alarm went off or something you know it wasn't actually anything real but um and, and then yeah on top of everything else I, I don't even know like how do you prepare for you know climate change and what the world's going to look like and you know when my daughter's um you know my age now and has kids of her own and think about that like you know what's the world going to look like in another 70 years <laughs> it's scary all right, we're all in the rabbit hole of doom now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the worry about PTSD uh, coming off the pandemic and everything that's happening in the world and, and all that, I think is real. I think I, I think yeah. this this society right now is is harmed and it's going to take some time for us to get back on our feet, I think. And, and let me just say that stupid people calling in needless bomb threats to schools is not part of the that's not helping yeah and i think you know us all all of us being in the media uh and joe uh workmeister alluded to this earlier it's kind of like cause and effect i can do this i can make a phone call and let me just watch you know i'll get my 15 minutes of reaction whether it's you know it's a harmless thing but they want to they do something, they post something on uh, social media, they make a phone call, and they see something happening from their actions. And we're seeing way too much of that. I think Let's hope. I mean, what this, I'm sorry, Joe, but no, I go ahead. it underscores for me in a way is how like, you know, we, we are facing so many, the whole world, so many really serious, seemingly sometimes unsurmountable problems. And the leader and our leadership is squabbling about most of the time, a bunch of nonsense. I mean, we have a completely dysfunctional government in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, I don't know how much better our government in the state capital here is. <laughs> um, and we see it every day, you know, locally with our, I don't know about you guys, but I could say we see it every day locally in, in Riverhead Town government. And, you know, then you have situations in school districts where, you know, where do the, where do the kids go? come in like where you know where do they come into this equation when you have administrators practically having a fist fight in their office like you know mm. it, it's just you know you know what the the frustrating thing to me denise is that that frustration that nihilism ends up manifesting in voting in a way that that just makes it worse i think it, it mm. tends it tends to send people voting in a way that says uh blow it all up make it all go you know take yeah. take this government away and 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 i think that just contributes it's sort of a vicious circle or, or not um, voting at all even i mean you know yeah just, you know yeah it's it's a tough time and and i think tough times come and go uh but uh this this one's particularly alarming to me because uh it seems like the kids are are paying a major price yeah. And it's something we need to be aware of. Uh, and, and it's going to be something we need to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Joe Workmeister of Newsday 
Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Brian Cosgrove of right here at WLIW. And Denise, so, so we've been having a lot of conversations over the last couple of months about BESS, Battery mm-hmm. Energy Storage Systems. And these are, these are uh, I think we're still trying to wrap our hands around exactly what these are, but they are batteries. They're, they're basically small facilities that house batteries that are used for alternate energy uh, things like wind power, you, you need this battery storage for these. And citing these in our community has become a real hot button issue. You're dealing with it right now in Riverhead, right? And Riverhead mm-hmm. is is going is getting ready. I don't did they actually enact the moratorium or they, they did get a lot of support yeah. for one, right? They did, and they have over a period of months. Um Riverhead actually over the um really vocal protest of a lot of residents. Um, actually adopted a zoning code amendment to allow these facilities in various districts in the town. Um, and um, that was done after, you know, people compl- expressed fears about their safety and cited incidents in other places, et cetera. Um, there were actually two different um, energy companies that had proposals um that they wanted to, you know, site these facilities in in the town of Riverhead, um, and um, that was be and and all of this took place before this summer when there were these three um, fires at three different locations um, at uh, in, in, at these facilities, one in East Hampton and two upstate, um, and you know that really gave pause to a lot of people who had supported it in, in at least in Riverhead and I think statewide too because the governor essentially um well she doesn't have the power to put the brakes on it I don't think like that but she appointed a working group to look into what happened at these facilities because they were all new facilities and you know the answer to to the people who were raising compl- you know concerns about this back in the hearing that we had earlier this year was well, the this, this problems you're you're calling out and the, the incidents that happened in the past were all these like older systems. And now there's all these safeguards, they're modern, they're new, they're safe. You know, don't worry. And then these three new systems, including ironically one that was identical to one that one that was proposed right next to a very densely populated um, manufactured home park, literally adjacent to this manufactured <laughs> home park, Glenwood Village in Riverhead. And, um, you know, it was an identical system and it was had just gone online like a month before and it had a fire. Mm. Um, and so the fires are difficult. They're, you know, the training that's needed is something that hasn't been adequately done for the firefighters. Um, you know, they, they, they're very, very difficult to put out. They burn for like days. And the only thing the firefighters can do is kind of like watch them from what we understand. Um, and I will say, I will say Denise in East Hampton, the fire suppression system that they had in place right. appears to have done its job, and the mm-hmm. firefighters really didn't have to do much of anything but, but on what? site. Right? Yeah, they, yeah. Um, but but this but it was contained, and and I think that's an important thing to point out. But it has they, been an issue I elsewhere. Mean, the danger with these things, and what and what's been changed, you know, to the credit of the industry and science, et cetera, is that. Um, if the battery the batteries can heat up each other like if one goes on fire they can heat up each other and it causes chain reaction and this like runaway fire uh which you know scary stuff but they say that they've protected that by enclosing these the batteries in separate like facilities like separate containers for lack of a better way to put it and each one on the inside has its own individual fire suppression system so that was that's like a fail safe to prevent those runaway fires, you know, um, but it, these incidents caused enough concern that Governor Hochul created this working group and, um, you know, other places, including at Southampton Town, right, has enacted a, a moratorium on mm-hmm. approving these facilities. Riverhead, at least what Councilman Tim Hubbard, uh, who initially supported a moratorium on best facilities in Riverhead brought that back to the table again. And um the, so now they're what they're like they're they're trying to um actually set a hearing on it now. Like I so 
it's not clear that this is going to actually, oh, they did have the hearing. Sorry. It's not clear that he's got the support of three people. They had the hearing. Actually I don't know, a major brain fart there. Sorry. But it, it was like they started the hearing at the last meeting and then before the one this week, and then they continued it. They There's an, a written comment period. You know, who knows what's going to happen? They're not going to do anything about this evidently before Election Day, obviously, at this point. And I don't know what's going to happen and how that's going to work out. You need you're going to need three votes to. Uh, and it's only a three month moratorium, which, mm. you know, the councilman believes is enough to, um, you know, give the to- give the town enough time to see what the state task force says. So that's interesting because Southampton yeah. went six months and then they extended it to a year, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, I'm I curious, saw. Denise, you said that, that Riverhead is looking to allow best facilities in certain zones. Where are they looking to allow them? Because that's been one of the questions in Southampton is where do you, is there a place where it's safe to allow these? And does Riverhead have industrial zones, things like that, that might be appropriate for them? Yes. Um, but the, well, yes, it does. And one of the key things in terms of citing these things is to, again, like, like many of the alternative energy sources to begin with, and other, you know, energy sources, proximity to uh, the, the hookup to the network, to the grid, right? right? So it needs to, they need to be relatively close to, um, you know, the, the, the stations, the transformer stations or whatever, where they can, you know, send the energy into the grid. And so these things are like when, when solar power is generated or wind power is generated, they can buy the, te- they can buy the energy that the best facility can buy the energy from the solar power company or the wind power company, store it and deploy it, sell it back into the grid when it's needed. Because, you know, at night or if it's cloudy or it's not windy, you know, in order to make these other these other types of energy sources really sustainable and workable, they need to be able to store the the, the energy. So they're definitely essential. So, um, so it's not so, like you can just put them anywhere. I mean, they have to be near the transmission right. line I guess the, type the thing. The farther away they are, they like the um the uh less economical it is for them to right cite them so i mean but the companies can there was a proposal in south hole town they can build the transformers you know i'm not using the right word it's not transformers i'm losing my mind but what's come on what is that you don't call them substations substation thank you Joe. (laughs) so you know there's a substation in uh calverton on edwards avenue there's one in um uh, Riverhead near this best facility that was proposed on uh, Mill Road and and Main Street, but they can build substations, right? And that was the proposal in Southold on in in uh, in Kutchov and Oregon Road farmland. They were going to build substation and best facility. Um, and the, it uh, seems like the, the, pri- the private company was going to build the substation, or you have to have PSEG come in. And build the substation I to make the think, private. I, I, best I'm work. not entirely sure. I think it was kind of a, a partnership, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm not entirely sure about that. In Riverhead, it was private companies coming on private land to, you know, connect to these things. So, like, and a farm yeah. field seems like a good idea, right? I mean, it, well, it, I mean, it, you know, like it depends on what's around it. If people, I don't know, you know, it's a good idea until it's next door to your house, kind of. Like, I think that's fair to everybody, you know, and mm-hmm. and so. There, the, there are certain the industrial thing, zones that in Riverhead to get to answer your question originally. I'm sorry, but like certain industrial zones that we Riverhead's got a lot of industrially zoned land and in odd places as well. And then also certain residential zones, um, the RB80, which is a two acre zone, was um, this would be allowed in, and as well as in the agricultural protection zone. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that opens up a lot of territory in, in the town of Riverhead. Um, you know, the, the question I have, Denise, and I have to acknowledge up front, I don't have the answer to this question, but I'm curious about it, is in Southampton, so, so you have all of these municipalities who are talking about moratoriums, which I think makes sense because this is new technology and it's very clear that even at the state level, there was sort of a push for it. But then there was a pullback because it's very clear that that we still have a lot of things that we need to figure out and, and understand. But so I see municipalities enacting moratoriums. And in Southampton in particular, it seems like the idea is, OK, we've enacted a year moratorium. OK, 
Now we can relax and it's pushed it off for a year. But my concern is, I wonder. I think it's still a six six month moratorium. Is it six? I thought they no. extended it to a year, but uh, six. It was months supposed to be three months, and they extended it to six months. Oh, okay, I may have that. that and the wrong. planning commission didn't want it to be six months, right? Is that what happened? The planning commission said no, make it three months. So that was Southhold. Yeah, that was Southhold. I think. Southhold. Yeah. Sorry, but but my question is, I wonder if there isn't a moment where the utility companies are going to say. Well, we need these, mm-hmm. and therefore they may be able to go to court and push and say, you know what, we gave you a chance to come up with rules. You enacted moratoriums to buy time, but never put rules in place. So now we're just going to put them where we need them. It's it's a public necessity, and the courts may may decide that the utilities can sort of overrule the municipalities. I wor- I worry that that may be coming down the pike, and and the municipalities may lose their chance to to say something. I think there's also a chance that the, the 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 public the state public service commission or the Department of Public Service can actually do that without even going to court because you know this is a big push by the state. A lot of people said the state got ahead of itself. They should have you know had this all figured out first. But the state is looking at these very ambitious you know climate this very ambitious climate legislation and you know for good reason because you know it's a crisis and the state's trying to deal with it. Um, and that is getting away from fossil fuels and peaker plants and, you know, all that kind of energy. And so, you know, they forged full steam ahead, which is not a right, the right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but like, you know, and now, OK, is there a problem and is it safe? Is it unsafe? And now we're going to like stop and take a look. And I think if the state, I think if the state comes out and says, oh, these are safe. OK. The local, it's not going to allay the fears of people locally when it's going to. And so there's still going to be a lot of pushback. And I think it may come to that because, I mean, it kind of came to that in some ways with the solar power facilities. Like, you know, if it's if it's over a certain size, they take just jurisdiction right out of the town's hands. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it goes to the Department of Public Service. We had that here in Riverhead happened. So, you know, it's I, I can see that happening. And that's one thing that, you know local officials here in Riverhead have said, you know, we need to do this so we can hope to control it. Otherwise, the state's going to step in and they're mm-hmm. going to say where these are going to go. Um, yeah. I think know. that's a definite possible outcome here. Joe, yeah. is this a conversation that's happening in other communities too on Long Island? Um, yeah, I think um, Huntington was one that just recently um, has had a similar discussion. I think they might have had a moratorium. I, I forget the exact details, but um, that was definitely we had a story about that uh, within a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, a topic. Um, you know, I think the ESEN's kind of been um, kind of the initial leader since, um, you know, we kind of have some space out here. I think, you know, people think for these kind of facilities. And um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of kind of hit home first out here but yeah i mean across uh across the island and obviously you know and definitely places upstate as well as you know uh, denise mentioned in the um this working group that the governor has put into place to uh try to come up with uh, a little more um you know kind of better understanding of how these work and um you know sure. and we we're talking about the connections to, to uh locate or, locations to substations, you know, that was why in Southampton, where this one, the controversial one in Hampton Bays was proposed, um, that's why they thought it was a good location. The people who were, um, you know, the applicant that was proposing this because because of its proximity to a substation, but that also happens to be right, you know, next to uh, residential homes and is essentially on the, um, in a spot where if there was some kind of incident, essentially uh, cut off you know, the eastern end of the of the South Fork, if, um, you know, 27 and the railroad there had to, you know, couldn't couldn't be accessed. So, you know, definitely it's a legitimate a concern location. Too. Yeah. yeah, legitimate concern. I mean, the, the, when when there are incidents at these facilities, it can you, you need a little bit of an area around it to 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 be safe. Brian, we're going to build a best facility right next to you. You OK with that? As a property, as, as somebody, you got, you got as, room as in your resident? backyard, right? Yeah, you caught me off guard. You caught me off guard. Sure, absolutely. It's next door. Yeah, you know, you know, there are a lot of uh, commercially available residential facilities. They're deployed right now. I mean, that's true. At at people's homes, same technology, the lithium batteries, and you know, people that have solar panels. Um, If you you see solar panels on a house, it's very possible that they have one of these batteries in their garage, right? 
Yeah. I don't know if they put do they I don't know if they put them inside a structure. I don't know. But yeah, it's possible that they, they put them like right up so they attach them to your house, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. you know? right. And there are these like battery storage on the top of apartment buildings in New York City. I mean, you know what? I mean, my my intuition says these are probably quite safe. But you know, just like say nuclear power plants. <laughs> And then there's the one, you know, problem. They're, they're, they're quite safe until you know, they're not. Until until <laughs> there's a problem. With, you know, you can never rule out everything. <laughs> but I don't well, know. They're they're, they're going to happen. They're 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 coming. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think that's the the reality of it. And uh, you know, I was um, I I initially when 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 people started complaining about the one in Hampton Bays and and the and the Southampton legislation, um, you know, the zoning legislation that was where these could be cited. Um, I, I, I think I, you know, I, I, I was more in support of, of, of the best facilities, but given what has happened and given everybody's concern, I, I think it's good to, you know, to, to tap the brakes a little bit and, and take a look. But to Joe's point, Joe Shaw's point, I mean, if you've got you know, six month moratorium. And somebody said it the other day, you were, we're two months into the six month moratorium. What has the town done? What has it accomplished? Um, you know, moving forward, you're going to get to that six month mark and the town still hasn't made any, any changes. Um, you know, I think is, is the danger. So if we're going to take a pause in, in Southampton and Riverhead and, um, you know, Huntington and Southhold, then, then somebody's got to come up with some answers and solutions, and you know, and 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 maybe that's the state commission. Maybe everybody's waiting for that. But I think locally we have to make some decisions about what's the best path forward, um, you know, and and be vocal about that. I mean, you know, nobody's nobody's said a word in Southampton since the moratorium, you know, was enacted. Six yeah. months goes by pretty quick. Pretty yeah. quick with uh, municipalities uh, trying to accomplish. And, and I've, I've seen, I've seen municipal, um, you know, moratoriums that start off as six months and then they extend it for another six months. And by the time you're done, it's you know, it's two years. And um, you know, and I think there's a danger to that too. Riverhead's posture is they enacted this zoning code to allow these things, and now they're waiting to see what the state says. Like they're not suggesting that they're going to try to figure this out on their own mm. um that you know the, the experts and all the state agencies in this working group are going to come up with you know a decision and and they'll go with that I'm but not if they're sure. going to have to change that zoning map they're not going to be able to do it quickly i mean if, if they need right. to be working on that they should be working on that you know as well, as the answers are being formulated here's the thing i think this is just another example of so many issues and controversies that arise and that people fight over in, in local municipalities and stuff is because of illogical sort of crazy zoning. And, you know, like you areas of zoned industrial, but yet people under, you know, traditional zoning can always build homes like in industrial zones. Like it doesn't go the other way around. You can't build industry in a residential zone, but you can, you know, highest and best use is residential. So, you know, that causes problems right there. You know, I mean, you, you allow that areas that are in industrial areas, some type cases right next to things like substations, right, to build, you allow people to build homes. And then, you know, when they want to, the substation wants to expand or another industrial use wants to get, I mean, this is what we're seeing over and over again at Riverhead. It's, you know, people, people go nuts, like, you know, uh, you're ruining our vista. You're ruining this is farmland. Even though it was an industrial zone, that even though it's all industrial, you know. Yeah. So well, and I think Which, the, the other oddity too, and I, and I think this was probably the the state push is is that you're you're talking about private companies building these facilities on private land that's then going to be used by um, the you know PSEG or um, you know, the energy companies, and, and that's just an oddity too. So you've got private property, um, you know, rights that are involved there. If the town says, you know, th- this is a zone where you can put these things, it's a, it's a, it becomes a property right issue. Um, as much as people want to object to it, like, like it's the, the utility building it, it's not the utility building it. And, you know, and, and so maybe, the public has a little less say. I think it's just odd that that's the way that this seems to be framed, that it's this um, private, 
public partnership type thing. Mm-hmm. And they pay a lot of money <laughs> yeah. to lease or buy the land. I mean, they've got a lot of money and they pay a lot of money from what I've heard from people that have been approached by these companies. Um, I'll put I'll put a positive spin on this. I think one thing that you can think about is uh, it reminds us just how quickly we're moving towards green energy. That the, the, that I think the pace of the trans transition is is maybe we're getting out over our skis a little bit now and then because it, we're moving very quickly. And you know the the wind farm is going up, and they're going to need to have these battery facilities available soon because you're going to have power that's being generated. I mean, in a sense, that's a good thing. We're moving briskly towards that transition, but this is the friction that's created when, well, when you have that kind of movement. I'll see your positive with a cynical. <laughs> cynical. Because you know what, if, if like the, if we didn't collectively bury our head in the sands on this stuff, all of these decades and, you know, listen to you know oil company interests or whatever and and they were calling the shots like they've been like or they had been um you know maybe we wouldn't be in crisis mode and that's what we where we seem to always be operating and then you have to hurry up you know and that's That's a great point never makes for good public policy i don't think but that's a great point uh this is behind the headlines on wliwfm i'm joe shaw my co-host is bill sutton we're with the express news group our panelists are joe workmeister of newsday Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Brian Cosgrove from WLIW. You know, staying on the idea of public utilities, just briefly, Bill, I want to mention there were a couple of things that came out this week from the Suffolk County Water Authority that I thought were interesting. One was just uh, in the middle of the week, they announced that a lot of their water preservation efforts that they've been putting into place over the last year or so are starting to pay off, that the peak usage is down and that they've been able to sort of keep up with that, which is good news. But I found it interesting that they also came to the East Hampton town uh, officials this past week, and they apparently are approaching all of the municipal officials in the region. They're asking for local laws that put some teeth into these efforts to do water preservation, things like the odd even water schedule, it's really a voluntary effort that the SCWA is asking for right now from its customers. Um, They're asking the local municipalities to actually enact laws that would have penalties if they don't follow that. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, Suffolk County Water Authority, everybody thinks that's the county, but it's not. It's 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 a private, it's a private utility, public, public utility. Um, but it's not the county. And and when you come out here to the different towns, um, they have no authority authority to to enforce any of these these measures. And I think that that's what they're looking for. I think the towns are a little are are kind of not very receptive to it because then who's going to go out and and do the enforcement? I mean, do you send code enforcement? officers out you know in the in the middle of the night to see whose sprinklers are 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 running and and then you have to write a ticket and then somebody has to you know adjudicate the 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 ticket and and that type of thing it's not just a matter of you know sending a a fine and hoping people pay for it i mean it it then ties up the you know the the you know the the justice court system and and all that. So how how do you you know enforce that? It might be easier, um, you know, western portions of of the county where you can get Suffolk County police or you know or other um, you know municipal authorities to to enforce this stuff. But um, I, we had a, an interview with with somebody the other day, and we were talking about this, and you know, and and maybe a, a better solution is just um better education and and trying to you know find ways to entice and encourage people to to do these odd even watering days and and to to limit the the use um um you know the the radiant heating that that uses uh, water they geothermal geothermal heating i mean they would prefer that homeowners you know have a well for that and not use the you know the authorities water from that system so so you know, I think they're maybe, actually not allowed to technically, right? If I understand that correctly. Well, I, 
I think they they now they do here. Species. I mean that the, the yeah, big the big water species. hogs. We do the water hog story every year. They're yeah. using um, you know Suffolk County water for for that. And I believe they're open loop systems, which use the water and then release it rather than a closed loop system, which just recycles the water, which seems crazy to me, like, right. like especially yeah. for these big estates. Um, if they're just burning through water uh, in that way, uh, it just seems crazy. Uh, it seems like a, a simple solution, but the Suffolk County Water Authority would tell you that water, uh, the lawn watering is the bigger part of the problem. I think if, if we could get that under control, it would it would make a huge and I have to say I, I made this point in the interview that Bill was talking about. Um, I'm a I'm a homeowner with a sprinkler system, and I don't know the first thing about how much I should be watering my lawn. And I welcome input on that. Um, I usually just rely on the folks that run my sprinkler system who maintain it for me to set it. But I, I've heard anecdotally that that too many people are overwatering their lawns. I, I'm not going to chastise you, Joe, but maybe it's your responsibility to get to know your I sprinkler system fair. for for the good of for the good of all of us, Joe, and and, and to make sure that you're not <laughs> so that you're not problem. wasting water. I'm the problem. Are you I'm a water hog, Joe? I am not a water hog. But I would love to know. Joe, Joe Shaw is going to be on the list of the uh, top twenty uh, water hogs. <laughs> I have one of those huge estates that's that's overwatering. <laughs> I um, I would love to have more information about that. And I've heard that most people overwater their lawns. I've cut way back as a result of that. Uh, my lawn's still really bad, so uh, maybe I'm still doing something wrong. Um, yeah, and part of part think... of the problem. Part of the problem. Sorry, I was just going to say that. that you know, talking about the odd even more odd even uh, watering. You know, what they found was um, most people were watering at the same time. So, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, early mornings on summer, um, everyone would kind of try to water at the same time. So, if you just spread that out more, it would uh, make a big help in, in, in the problem. Even even if people weren't necessarily cut back, which they should, but um, even if they just kind of spread things out a little more um, that would you know make a big difference and they wouldn't be as concerned where maybe they might run out of water if there was some kind of emergency and suddenly they need to tap into uh you know a lot of water to put out a, a fire or something like that yeah because it's the peak usage that i think is is a big part of the problem no question denise switching gears i want to talk about the uh, riverhead anti-bias task force and they are doing an outreach into the local schools which have had some a troubled couple of months. Uh, they're talking about harmony sessions. What the heck are harmony sessions? Um, it wasn't very clear. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, it just really wasn't very clear. Um, it's kind of an idea in in the works and development. I think more than anything else at this point. But um, they were talking about doing things that. I mean, in response to a couple of incident that happened at a football game where. Uh, young children were sort of harassed and um, one was physically pushed down and they were called the N-word by older kids, teens. And we're talking like, you know, six-year-old, five and six-year-old kids. Um, the uh, And and so like kind of in response to that, they were talking about maybe doing some things at football games to like, you know, raise awareness and promote harmony and unity. They're working they're talking about working with the school district um, to make that kind of stuff happen. Um, but it, it seemed to me after sitting through an extraordinarily long meeting the other night <laughs> um, where, you know, it's just kind of like ideas in, in Genesis sort of at this point more than anything else. I mean, you know, there's it's a it's a new task force, essentially. Um, there was, a, you know, um, an, a I don't know what to how to characterize it, but there was a dispute about the the task force and the current the town board did not want to reappoint the task force. And like their term expired last December. They finally like restructured it and um, you know, appointed new members and booted some people off. And it was clearly in response to some things that the antibias task force was taking on and doing and saying. Um, including speaking out against the town's um, emergency order about migrants and including donating um, books that were selected by school librarians about bias issues. 
um, members of the town board apparently um, objected to some of those books. I mean, they've not been um, very forthcoming about exactly what the issue is, um, mm -hmm. but they never and they still have not uh, you know, uh, approved spending the money on these books. And at this same task force meeting, they were talking about, you know, the, the liaison to the task force, Ken, Ken Rothwell, Councilman Ken Rothwell. Um, came out and said, you know, maybe this isn't the smartest way for the antibiotics task force to spend its limited budget. And, uh, you know, if the if the school districts want these books, why don't they buy them? Because they have multi-million dollar budgets, um, stuff mm. like that. So, like, that's still ongoing. So it's kind of like this, this new task force, there's a new chairperson and trying to, like, do things differently. Um, then the it's going to be a long, long haul effort, I'm guessing, right? It's not something you're going to fix overnight. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I still, I, I, I think some things that I'm not prepared to say out loud yet, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there's just, I, I, well, actually we wrote an editorial about how, you know, the, the town board was meddling, you know, because of politics, meddling in the antivirus task forces, uh, you know, activities. And that, you know, they they need to not do that because that kind of undercuts the whole idea of what an antibiotics task force is supposed to be about. Sure, sure. But they were talking about a lot of issues that were, uh, you know, not part, not like part of the, um, you know, the philosophy of, of the current town board. And mm -hmm. um, Councilman Rothwell was pretty clear about that. You know, in an interview, he said he basically said, well, this isn't political, but there are too many members that are, you know, middle-aged Democratic women, and we want to change that. Democratic, you know, party members. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So that's changed now. Um, but so, what, again, this is like a, it's still unfolding. And where this ends up at this point, I think, is somewhat of a, um, you know, un unknown at this point. Got it. Um, so. So we're just about out of time. I, I want to take a second here at the end before we leave to point out that, Denise, I, I think uh, you announced that the Halloween festival that was planned up in Riverhead this weekend was canceled because of yeah. inclement weather this weekend. Yeah, it's postponed to the tw uh, next Saturday, the 28th. Um, yeah, I, I want to point out that's the latest in a series of events on the South Fork, on the yeah. East End in general. Uh, we've had a, a stretch of really bad weekend weather and it yeah. canceled, uh, canceled and postponed a lot of, of the shoulder festival events. So I just want to remind people uh, that a lot of the businesses locally count on a, more business this time of year and those festivals were part of that. They're all going to pay the price for that a little bit. So if you can get out, go to local restaurants a little more than usual this October, uh, even with the rainy weather, it would probably be much appreciated by all of them. We are out of time. I want to thank our panelists, Joe Workmeister of Newsday, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Brian Cosgrove of WLIWFM. Thank you, guys. And thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thanks, Bill, as always. Thank you, Joe. Uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thanks, everybody, for joining us.